So, again, the title of the message today is Who Are You? And I think a lot of people are living below uh, who God says that they are. I tell you this funny story. Um, it's funny to me anyway. But uh, Alan Nazir was, uh, was sent to prison in 1986 for murder in New Brunswick, Canada. This is not the funny part yet. So, <laughs> all right. Uh, it's where I grew up. And he was known as the monster of the Miramichi. And he, for his treacherous acts of violence, he did in different places. It was hor- horrific what he did. In the spring of 1989, Alan had an ear infection, was went, sent to a local hospital, and he escaped. And so for seven months, he was on the loose where the police were looking for him constantly all the time, trying to find him, where he went to, and they had trouble finding him. Well, I have this friend of mine named Dale Muir, and this guy looked a lot like Alan Legere. And three different times, he was stopped as Alan Legere, and one of those times, the cops put the boots to him and the clubs to him, beat him down, didn't ask for his ID first. He goes, there he is. They started beating him and beating him. That's, this is the funny part, just so you know. Because when Dale told me, he, he laughed. <laughs> he told me, he was laughing. He goes, yeah, he didn't sue them like they would here. It was Canada back then. I don't know what they do today. But uh, they, they hit him with the clubs and kicked him and stuff and beat him down. And he goes, I'm not Alan. I'm not Alan. Check my ID. And finally they stopped. And anyway, he told that story laughing. So that's what I'm laughing to many years ago. But that's a case of mistaken identity. They eventually did find that guy and put him away. But, uh, but because the police thought Dale was somebody else, he suffered the consequences as if he was somebody else. And I just wonder today how many of us are suffering consequences as if we were somebody else because we're not totally sure who we really are. Uh, if you don't know who you are, you don't know whose you are, you're going to live out of this double-minded mentality that's not going to take you into new levels of freedom in him. You're going to be a beggar, begging God to do stuff for you. You don't see that in, in Jesus' life. You don't ever see him begging the Father, right? Okay, so have you ever been uh, told by a friend uh, that they, they met your twin? Hey, I met your twin the other day. He looked just like you. And you see a picture like, dude, that guy doesn't look anything like me. What are you talking about? But for some reason, they, they, they think they do. And uh, there's often these people out there that look like us, that aren't related to us. And there's a word for that called doppelgangers. This word was not invented on the Flash, on the WB or whatever, the, the Flash TV show. It's actually a German word, and it means double walker, double walker. So I think, um, you know, that we can be living in one way and have this double identity, this false identity, because we're still identifying with the old man that the Bible says crucified with Christ, that's gone away with, cut away, circumcised by the hand of Christ. We're still identifying with the old man, not living out of the new man who God says we are. We're a double walker. We're this doppelganger, not even knowing who we really are. So now it's one thing for a person to uh, mistaken you for somebody else. But it's another thing altogether when you mistake yourself for somebody else. Okay? That is a powerful deception when you believe you're somebody that you're not. Do you know who you are? Are you suffering from a case of mistaken identity? You know, in the home, in our homes, the father, it's the father's role traditionally uh, to be the provider, protector, and the parent who is the primary influencer in this child's identity. And in America, across the world, we're having more fatherless situations than ever in the history of mankind. I mean, even during wars, yeah, these people still had fathers, but some of them, they lost their fathers in wars. But today, it's worse because their fathers are alive, but they're deadbeat dads and don't want to be home. Not taking responsibility for who, what their children and stuff. So there's more fatherless today than there's ever been. And we wonder why there's so much confusion out there. So much confusion. In 1 Corinthians 14.33, it says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. 
confusion, your confusion on any topic didn't come from God. Gender confusion didn't come from God. Okay? It didn't come from God. Yeah, am I going to go there? Yeah, just for a little bit, I'm going to go there, okay? Because the, call, the, the, the world, the CNNs, the TVs, media stuff, they don't own this world. My God owns this world, and it is what he says it is. We don't need to be woken to any of their stuff, okay? I'm awoken to the reality of who I am in Christ. That's what we need to be woken to. So confusion doesn't come from God. Today we have men who identify themselves as women. We have women who identify themselves as men. We have experts out there that say there's now eight different genders. They should be all fired and remove their titles of experts. What kind of expert are you in? In stupidity? I mean, honestly, God, give me grace. I'm trying. <laughs> Lord, I'm, they need Jesus, what they need. They don't need, my, they don't need my harsh words, but that is pretty dumb, okay? Um, we have white ladies identifying as African Americans. We have short people identifying as tall people. And we have children identifying as cats. And we're supposed to coddle to that. We're supposed to teachers coddle that and, I don't know, sit them in the corner, give them cat food or something, put them in a little kitty litter box out. I don't know what we're supposed to do for them or whatever. Come on, somebody. Yeah. It's time for men to be men and women to be women and rise up of who we are. I'm not I'm fighting these people. They're not our enemies. But there's a real attack against our identity. Yeah. Not just those people. There's a fight against your identity, fight against my identity. The devil does not want you to know who you are. He doesn't want to know who you are who you, and who possesses you. Now, even though we know and, how, and we know and understand how crazy some of that stuff is, we live in the South, and we, and we get that here. We're more the Bible Belt buckle than, you know, whatever. But uh, we get that here. I can say this stuff here, and I won't have one negative person, negative comment about it later. And even if you do, too bad. The truth is the truth is the truth, all right? I'm just saying. It's just too bad. There is two genders. God said in the beginning, I made them male and female. Male, male and female, I created them. All right, that's what he did, and he didn't change it. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The genders don't change. I know I don't need to tell you guys this. I'm preaching to the choir, but, but um, and it's, we know and understand this. We know how crazy all this stuff is. But I just wonder, from God's perspective, does he feel the same way when we get confused about our identity in him? We judge them so harshly because they're, they're crazy. They think they're a girl. They think they're whatever. And God, I wonder what he thinks about us. They don't even believe I'm their dad. They don't even believe they're my son. They've gone to church all their life. They've heard every gospel message they could possibly hear. Yet they still don't believe that they're a child of God. How would that make you feel, all right? Um, I think he tells us who we are in the word of God, doesn't he? He tells us we're his children. But uh, we live like we're something else, like we're someone else. And there's a problem out there. It's a, where it's a case of mistaken identity. And this, the church is suffering globally because we don't know who we are. Okay? We're uh, experiencing the doppelganger thing. Where someone looks like you, sometimes acts like you, but doesn't live like the real you. You'll never be the real you, who you were born to be, to you walk in your true identity, who God says that you are. Why you have breath in your lungs, why you're alive, the mission, the calling, the identity of your life, you will never walk in the fullness of who you really are till you know who God made you to be. Okay? So we know a lot of different realities, characteristics of God from the Bible, and one of those is it's impossible for God to lie. Yet 2,000 years later, we still don't believe him. I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. Yeah. Okay? You have heard since you were, everyone, anyone here, if you didn't grow up in church, I think probably most of you did. I'm not sure. But you've heard since you are a little kid that Jesus loves you. Yet, uh, I would say, just guessing, I don't 
Half you don't really believe it. Let's say 50%. Maybe more, maybe less. Don't believe it. You've got the song memorized, but you don't believe it. When the rubber meets the road, when you're going through a crisis, when you're going through something pressing, stressing, conflicting in your life, you think you are all alone and God's not with you. And that is a lie from hell. That's a case of mistaken identity. And the world is beating you up or you are beating yourself up just like my friend did because they thought he was Alan Legier because you don't know who you are. Numbers 23, 19 says this, for God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he would repent or change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? Okay, no. If he said it, he meant it. And he factored in all of our stupidity. He factored in all of our sin, all of our unbelief, all of our junk that we sometimes carry through life. He factored it all in when he said it because he meant it. And he's big enough to stand on it. Amen. We also know that God doesn't give like the world gives. That's in John 14, 27. God gives differently than we do. People give you gifts when you earn them. You get trophies. Well, not, not nowadays, but they used to give trophies when you earned them. Now you get them for participation. But I guess that's maybe good, too. I don't know. Maybe whatever. That's another thing. But um, he's, he, get, he doesn't give you uh, rewards and trophies because you've earned them. He gives you when you believe. It is not because you've worked hard enough, you became the best Christian that you know, or whatever. It's when you believe him, you receive rewards from the Father. And they're not really re rewards as much as it's part of your inheritance. Okay? We don't work for rewards. That sounds kind of, uh, I don't know, that's not very relational. If my kids worked and did stuff for me out in the yard for rewards, they're going to get them whether they do it or not, because I'm just a sucker for the, my kids, I guess. They can just be as lazy as they want to be sometimes, and I'm still going to bless them. I don't know if there's something wrong with me. But I think maybe it's because I love them. I see some parents looking around at their kids right now, and I'm glad I'm, glad I'm not alone on that. But um, So many, I think, are suffering with a case of mistaken identity and suffering the consequences from this mistaken identity, still begging God for stuff, and it's kindergarten Christianity at best. It's filled with doubt and unbelief. It's not filled with relationship. It's not filled with the love of God. It's filled with fear, doubt, condemnation, guilt, shame, and all the works of the enemy. Amen. It gets better if, you, if you're concerned. This isn't to beat you down. I'm just exposing the problem. Okay? So um, just like those with gender confusion, people in the church have identity confusion today. They just do. They don't know who they are. They're believing the lie, and they're believing the liar. They've listened to the voice of the stranger. Just like our parents, Adam and Eve, they're listening to the voice of the serpent, and they're believing the serpent more than they're believing God. And we judge Adam and Eve for eating the fruit. We do the exact same thing every day. You're eating that fruit. It's a different fruit, but you're eating it. You're eating the lie, the lie that you're not who, you say, who God says you are. That the grass is greener on the other side. There's real life is happening over here. But no, the righteousness of God is what gives you life. Okay, you, um, they believe, people are believing their feelings and emotions instead of God. Well, I can't, this can't be true because I just don't feel it. Well, whoopity-doo. Where's that in the Bible? Are you guys here? Are you okay? You can say amen or oh me or something. Shout me down or something. But uh, I'm telling you, me too. I'm not telling you I've got this all figured out and perfected either. I'm just saying this is what the Word of God is teaching us. Um, people are believing their feelings and their emotions over God. Well, that can't be true because I just don't feel that way. 
people are divorcing and getting divorced in marriages and stuff because, well, I just don't feel like I love them anymore. Well, my gosh, you just need to repent. Change how you think. Get in touch with Jesus and let the love of God fill your heart and transform you. Love is not about feeling. Love is about a covenant. It's about covenant. Sometimes you're going to feel it. Sometimes you're going to feel something else. <laughs> it might not be thrills and tickles. It might be ah and whatever. But I still have a covenant. I don't know where to look right now. I think you guys are all doing good. But um, but this believing there are feelings and our emotions instead of God has caused so much pain in your life. And we think it's going to get better by I don't know what. Maybe when you get this better job, when you finally get this rage, you finally get your house paid off, you finally get this happen and this happen, and then your life's finally going to get better. And I'm telling you, you're going to remain in the torment that you're in until you change what you think. Until you let God be the Lord of your life, the Lord of your thoughts. That let God have the final word of who you really are. Okay? There's so many different sermons in my mind I'm going through right now, spirit, soul, and body, the mirror thing, whatever, but I'm going to try to stick to my notes today because this is a big topic. But if we're going to grow in the Lord, at some point or other, you have to give God the final say in your life that what he says is true. No matter what you feel, no matter what you think, no matter what the, your neighbor thinks, what they say on the news or anything else, you have to let God be the final authority in your life. If he said this, then it has to be true despite how I feel internally. Okay? It's called trust. It's called trust. And one of the reasons why we don't trust God is because we don't know God. <clears throat> I'm trying. Yeah, you know of God. I know of LeBron James. I mean, I watched him on TV all the time. He's about to break sometime Kareem's record in the most points ever scored. Good for him. I still think Michael Jordan's better myself, but anyway. Uh, and I always will, no matter what he does, I just say. But, um, but I don't know him personally. He's never made a donation to this church that I know of or anything like that. I don't know him. And I think some people, they go to church, you think you're going to meet God through osmosis or something or because you heard about him or whatever. And at some point or another, you actually have to believe what the good book says about you. It's not, he didn't save just everyone. He saved you if you believe. If you receive what he said about you is true. Now listen to this to John 8, 31 and 32. It says, and Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. So they were Jewish, but they believed him, which makes them believers, okay? It says, if you abide in my word, you are my disciple indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So again, verse 32 says he was talking to believers, and he's telling them here that they need to be set free. Do you see that? So it is true that believers need to be set free. Now, I'm telling you that it's because a lot of people don't know this. But if you don't know this, the truth that you don't know is not going to help you. It's a truth that you know is going to help you. And it isn't just knowing this truth. The Bible says there, if you abide in that truth, you abide in the truth of what God's saying about you to be true, then the truth is going to set you free. Free from what? Free from the believed lies about your identity. Truth of the believed lies of who you really are. Okay, uh, if, if abiding in God's truth makes us free, then abiding and believe lies will hold us in bondage. I'm going to say that again, because this is so common in church. It's so common in the world. If abiding in God's truth will make you free from any of the lies that you believed in your lifetime, then abiding in those lies are going to keep you in bondage. 
You can pray and fast and fast and pray night and day, go on 24-hour prayers and do prayer marches around the city. But until you repent and change how you think and believe what God says about you, true, you will never get out of that bondage. You have to abide with him, spend time with him. That he says what you say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. When he even says, says something good about you and you have a tough time receiving, say, Thank you, Lord. I don't feel that's true, but you said it. It must be true. My, 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 uh, my soul has to shift to agree with what you're saying. It has to, or you're not going to grow spiritually. I'm just saying, you're just going to stay exactly where you are. You're never going to grow. If we don't, how can we be believers if we don't believe what he tells us? He says one thing nice about you, like, oh, no, it's going to get to my head. I'm going to get into pride. I'm going to turn into whatever. I think you got to realize that he's your dad. It's hard for a dad not to say good things about his kids unless his dad's got something wrong with him, that he needs some inner healing himself. But a real dad with a heart of a father is going to have a tough time not saying good things about his kids, even when they do stupid things. You know what? That was really dumb, but, man, I sure love you. <laughs> I wish you would have listened to me. I told you not to do that before, but some people have to learn the hard way. But guess what? I love you. I'm committed to you forever. So I'm going to give you a few things through this that uh, are going to sound complimentary to you. But they're not so much for as a compliment to you as much as it is it's your identity, who you are. It's just who you are, okay? So, uh, again, there's many lies that the church has believed. And I'm not talking so much about uh, bad sermons they've heard in church services. I'm talking more about uh, the, what they believe and what they've heard in their mind again and again and again, day after day, when they're not in church, when they're not listening to worship music, when they're not meditating on the Word of God. When other thoughts are going through your mind... There's these lies that we pick up over time that we end up believing. And there's many of them. I mean, it's very common in the church. When in religious circles, those are the things you deny don't tell anybody. You know? Man, you guys, come on. Yeah, you can't tell anybody because you don't trust them. You think that their, their sin's better than yours or your sin's stinkier than yours. And you can't share with anybody who you really are. You know, your real, your real change in your life is going to come when you become honest with God and yourself and others. You want transformation? Be honest. Stop lying to yourself, others, and God about who, what's going on, what's really going on in your life, what's really your struggle, what's really your challenge. And then you can find out who God really is and how God can change those situations in your life. All right, so here's some lies. I'm going to give you some examples of lies. Here's some lies that I believed about myself. This is over the course of uh, uh, different times of my life. But one was I could entirely sanctify myself. Now, that's not a word you hear all the time, but in Bible college where I grew up, that was a big word that we had to be entirely sanctified. And that entirely confused me. And it entirely messed me up. And entirely, like, I, I just, like, so my conclusion is that I had somehow had the, had the power and the ability somehow to entirely sanctify myself when I don't. You don't. Okay? I'll read the verse to you where it comes from. In my denomination, they even have their own versions of the Bible that say entirely, entire sanctification. don't know what version that is. Because I remember saying to the president of school once, it doesn't even say entire sanctification of the Bible, but he had one version he found somewhere where it did say it. So, First Thessalonians 5, 23, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wonderful verse. But every verse in the Bible is, is wonderful, but taken out of context can be a sword, a piercing negative sword in your life. And this was one to me because I didn't get it. I thought I could sanctify myself. I thought it was my responsibility to make this stuff happen. And it just made me that hamster on the wheel spinning and spinning and spinning trying to please God, but I never could. When the very next verse says, why don't you put up there, it's almost laughable. I don't know if, I, if everyone skipped that part or just me. The one who college is faithful and he will do it. 
all this time I thought it was my job, and he says he's going to do it. Well, what am I doing? Well, I'm, I'm killing myself here trying to make somebody else happy or please the crowd or look religious or the best Christian around to the people, to the masses or whoever the people are out there in our minds when I can't do it. You can't do it. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Okay? That was some lies I had. Some other ones are that I had to do all these different things works, and then God be happy with me, and then he bless me. If I had enough good things, and they outnumbered the sins of my past, or whatever, then God would bless me and be happy with me. Lie. It's a lie. All right? That's works. Four, um, that I had to work hard to prove how much I love God. That's why sometimes, honestly, in, in Baptist churches and other churches that are really big, uh, not all Baptist churches are like this, but the ones that are very religious, and preach the law and sin every week, they, have, they can give volunteers like crazy because they threaten you with hell every Sunday if you don't come volunteer. You're going to hell, buddy, if you don't get here every Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday, you're going to hell. Have you been there? I've been in those churches. And we have a grace church. I can't hardly get you guys to come volunteer for stuff sometimes. So I'm, I've definitely been tempted. And Janice Wise told me, she said, if you want them to volunteer, you're going to have to put a little fire in there, a little law in there or something. Like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. I, God won't let me do it. <laughs> so... But anyway, I, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't because I, I don't want to manipulate you. If you don't want to volunteer, then you don't have to. But if you don't do it, someone else is going to have to, and it makes more work for somebody else. But anyway, that's not the point of this. But, um, but I believe I had to work hard enough to prove uh, how much I love God. It wasn't about how much God loved me. It was how much I loved God because I was trying to make myself look like the best Christian around. Oh, yeah, I volunteered there. Oh, yeah, I was there. I was there at 6 a.m. for the morning prayer meeting. I was there. And it wasn't even about anything about you. It was about me looking good to somebody else. Religion. Okay? Um, that God was displeased with me. That something was wrong with me and other lies. That other people were better than me or more holy than me. That I didn't measure up. Some more lies. But if I worked hard enough one day, I'd be good enough, good enough as other people, and then I'd be good enough to receive God's blessing. I don't know when that day is going to be, but just one day, if I just keep working at it, just keep trying harder, pray longer, read my Bible more, go to more, do all these things more, and then one day, I'll make it. I'll just know that I've arrived or something. And guess what? It was 100% lies. It's lies. It's by grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, so man can't boast. And what I wanted to do, I, I, I didn't know God, and I wanted to boast about my works. I wanted to brag about, oh, yeah, well, well I do way more than them. I have to be holier than them. <laughs> I'm awesome, man, don't you know? Oh, God, help me. That was sarcasm. Okay, I'm not saying that now. I was saying, like, anyway. So uh, some of these beliefs I had for me were unique to my church environment, the background I grew up in. Some of them are common across the board. But uh, over the years, we've done many sozo sessions, inner healing meetings in the back. And we talk to people, and the point of those meetings is to expose these believed lies and reveal God's truth. And I have a list of the most common ones we made. I talked to Laura the other day. So some of the list of some of the most common lies we hear in our Sozo meetings. And these lies I didn't hear from God, okay, that they're not good enough. Probably the number one we hear, that God doesn't really love them, that God wasn't there when they needed him, that God will not help them, that God doesn't really care. That Satan has more power in this situation than God does. Now, people will not say that. But when we ask them, Holy Spirit, what's the lie they believe? Then they say this. God tells them, they believe that the devil has more power than I do. And then they are hesitant to say it. You know what? 
if you believe that deep down in your heart, man, you need to get it out of there because you need to speak it out and let God and hear God. I believe this somehow. I don't know why, but I just do. Because there's something dysfunctional in your relationship with your father. And only one that can heal that is God. <laughs> All right. I don't know if I'm blowing you guys out of the water or you guys are okay. But um, some believe that their sins or mistakes couldn't be forgiven. That's pretty common. That their issues or problems weren't going to ever change. That they were unlovable. That they had to be good enough and then God would love them. And then God, and then God was ashamed of them and didn't even like them. These are some of the number one ones we hear. Not from dirty, nasty, evil people out there. From people in the church. Believers. Good Christian people that love Jesus, that uh, you know, give their time, whatever, to the Lord. And they just believe, part of them believes that they're just the scum of the earth. Deep down. And you know what? That's a case of mistaken identity. And the root, the root of all those lies, my lies, I believe, the lies from Sozo, is this lie of unworthiness. Unworthiness, okay? Some people, that some people are good enough, but other people just aren't. And some people are worthy enough, and just some people just aren't. And we're just some of those ones that just aren't. They are, because, well, look at them. God's blessed them. They got this big ministry, or they got this whatever. That's just such a lie. That belief of being unworthy. You know, uh, there's... This is one of the lies that you've probably heard, and I've heard here in this church by some of the best Christian people I know I've heard, even in this church, I'm so unworthy. Well, guess what? You need to shift out of the old man and into the new man. Uh, this is a lie, isn't it? Now, if I ask some people, and it depends on different places I ask them, they'll say, no, that's not a lie, brother. That's true. Is it? Okay, I want you to think about it. It's okay if you don't agree, but I'm going to show you you're wrong in a minute. <laughs> All right, okay. I mean, it's, it's a relational, okay? How worthy or unworthy do you have to be to inherit something? You could be the worst kid on the planet. If your mom thinks you're the best ever, your dad still loves you, guess what? When they croak, when they go to be with Jesus, you're going to still get everything that they left behind for you. Whether you were the worst kid they ever had or the best kid they ever had, it's still going to be yours, not because of your worth or your value, but because of your inheritance. Because of how good they were, not how good you are. Do you see it? Who's determining how much you're worth? Is your feelings, your emotion determining that, or is God determining that? Who is, who is really God in your heart? Is it your feelings or your emotions or the Lord? Okay, I'm saying this kind of hard because I'm hoping to dear Lord that we get it. Because it's been thousands of years now, and we haven't. We haven't. I mean, just telling you. So I want to show you a few verses here. And uh, I'm really praying that the Holy Spirit will just move in your hearts and shift you from doubt and unbelief into faith. Faith isn't always for healing and miracles and stuff. Faith is believing who God says he is no matter what you feel, think, and imagine. No matter what anyone else tells you. Faith is trusting and believing God. Okay, Colossians 1.12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us, that's you, that's me, to be partakers of the inheritance in the, of the saints in the light. Again, how worthy do you have to be to inherit something? You didn't inherit anything due to your worth. It's due to the goodness of God. 
Because of the goodness of God, you get to receive the promises of God. Not because of the goodness of you or me. Are you here? Okay. This is the wrong question. This is a question that the devil put in our mind. This whole worth and unworthy thing. It's not the right question. The question is how worthy is God? How worthy is has, how worthy and trustworthy is his word? Not, we got to abide in his word and the truth of his word will set us free. It's not like, oh, I think that's a good idea. I really like that. That sounds good. Well, guess what? If it never goes from here to here, you're going to live in doubt and unbelief. It has to make that 18-inch journey, whatever it is, depending on how big your head is. But uh, it has to go from your head to your heart. Amen? This is a trick of the enemy. Get you thinking and focused on yourself and the wrong question, not focused on who God says you are. And I'm going to show you this because this is about your identity. This is about who you really are. You're not the worst mistake you ever made. You're not the worst mistake you ever made. You're not the worst insult that somebody ever gave you. You are who God Almighty says you are. If he can speak the world into existence and everything just, every atom and everything just shoots itself into place to become what he said, then I believe you are who he says you are. So listen to this in Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death. Why? To present you holy and blameless and above, above reproach in his sight. We looked at how you felt about yourself, how you were in your own eyes. This is how you are, how you look in God's eyes. And they're totally different from each other. We see ourselves as we suck, and God says, you're awesome. You're my son. I took care of you. I took care of all of it. Is that too honest with you guys? <laughs> that was at least my problem. I know we don't like that word. I, don't, I try not to use it too much, but anyway. Paul here is writing to the church in, in Colossus, and he's talking to them in verse 21 about a time in their past when they felt unworthy, when they felt in their mind that, they weren't good enough, that they were alienated strangers, that they were enemies of God in their mind because of their evil works, okay? Paul said his people, uh, let me skip that part. This is part of their identity, their form of belief system, that they are aliens and strangers to God. I'm going to look a little bit different in some of these words to tell you what they mean. The word alienated or alien, um, I used to be an alien, just if you didn't know. You come from Canada and you come to the country, you move to your registered alien. I had to register as an alien many years ago. Now I'm not. I'm now I'm a citizen. Praise God. <laughs> it's actually true. I had a green card. It was a res anyway. Um, so the word can mean uh, estranged, which means a person who is no longer close or affectionate with somebody. You have an estranged relationship. That's what that's what this means. Also, uh, other versions say separated, strangers, far away from God, or excluded. The Strong's Accordance defines the Greek word. Now, this is the former way, not the word now, but the former way. The Strong's Accordance defines the word um, in the Greek to be in strange away, to be a non-participant, to be shut out from one's fellowship and intimacy. And guys, in your mind, when you think you're a stranger, you're an alien to God, in your mind, you're making this stuff come to pass. That you're alienating yourself and shut out from his fellowship and his intimacy, and it's all in your mind. It's not in his mind. We already saw what's in his mind. But what's in his mind has become in our mind, or we're going to be needing to be freed. Okay? Another word I want to look at is the word enemies. 
The word enemies in the Greek can be translated hostile, to hate, and to oppose one another. So formerly the church, the, the people in the church that were in Colossus, some of them were Jews, some of them were Gentiles. But formerly they felt separated from God. They felt like they were strangers with God. They felt far away from God, excluded. They felt shut out from fellowship and intimacy with God. They felt like they were God's enemies, that God hated them, that God opposed them, and that God was hostile towards them. That sounds like the same lies I was talking about earlier in, from Sozo meetings and stuff I was believing. The devil doesn't have anything new. There's nothing new under the sun. The same feelings in their mind they were having back then is the same things we have to battle today in the church, in our relationship with God. So in the NIV version, it, has, it says that they were enemies in their minds because of your evil behavior. They have a footnote there that says, enemies in your minds as shown by your evil behavior. Meaning they were behaving in an evil way because they were God's enemies in their mind. I don't care who you are. If you think God hates you, you think he's far away from you, eventually you're going to be like, ah, who cares? What does it matter? I'm going to hell anyway. Might as well do this. Might as well do that. What's the matter? And I'm telling you, this is not just the world. This is in the church. They're going to church every Sunday trying to get saved again and again and again, again and again and again. My gosh, it's the, I talk about kindergarten Christianity. It's not even hardly being able to shred water when the word of God is very clear on those things. If you struggle there, I'm not trying to say that judgmentally, I struggle there myself, but you don't have to stay there. What you need is metanoia to change how you think, agree with God. So uh, if you believe you are shut out from fellowship and intimacy with God, that God hates you and opposes you and is hostile towards you, your behavior is going to become evil. It just will. So we keep thinking in the church, if you fix all your behavior, then you become close to God. If you fix all your stuff, all your sin, man, if you could fix all your stuff, Jesus came for no reason. You can't fix it. Stop wasting your time trying to fix it. You need to change, not worry about changing your behavior so much as change what you believe. And you don't need to know that he's not some faraway God. He's right here ready to help you. And then you will change from glory to glory to glory to glory to glory with his help. Amen. So uh, this verse said they were hated and enemies in their minds. But, you know, that wasn't their true identity. That wasn't God's perspective at all. Now I want to show you what God's perspective is. Um, uh, let's see. Verse 21 says, but now he has reconciled you. He has reconciled you. The word reconcile there means to reestablish a close relationship. It's not a distant one. It's not this far off thing. It's the re he is, now he has, past tense, reconciled you. So you can be, have this close relationship again. God the Father through Jesus has reestablished this close friendship that man once had back in the garden. And now when you fail, when you mess up, you don't have to die. You don't have to have become spiritually dead again. There's forgiveness, mercy, and grace through the blood of Jesus. It's better than what Adam and Eve had. They messed up once and boop. All right. Let me read this verse to you again. I want to highlight a few more words. And then we'll take communion together. But I want to just show you things from God's perspective. Because, you know, when we, we're going through life and you're going through bad things and we start blaming ourselves for this and that, whatever, we have a way to beat ourselves up. But I want you to see God's perspective on this again. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Praise God, Jesus has done that. He has done that. 
your emotions don't feel that. Your flesh doesn't feel that. You might still feel like you're whatever. You're bad. You're whatever. But that's not the truth of who God says you are. Let me show you what these words mean, uh, holy, blameless, and above reproach. Okay, Holy here means sacred, pure, morally blameless, ceremonially consecrated, and a saint. You don't have to be Catholic to become a saint. You know that? <laughs> you're a saint if you're in Christ. Amen? You guys should laugh more, I think. But uh, you don't have to be, right? It means sacred, pure, morally blameless, ceremonially consecrated, and a saint. That's what God says he's presenting you, the Father, as. That's not once you die because you, then you stop sinning. He says he already has done it. Blameless here means unblemished, without blame, blemish, fault, or spot. Faultless, unblameable, as a sacrifice without spot or blemish. That's how he sees you now. Not when you get it all together and you figure it all out. He's talking about your born-again spirit, man. It's perfected forever, the Bible says in Hebrews 10. Um, and then the word uh, reproach in the Greek means unaccusable, irreproachable, unreprovable, blameless, that which cannot be called into account ever again. Okay, you guys are like afraid to say amen, but I'm telling you, this is who you really are. Whether you believe me, you feel it or not, you can live like my friend Dale and get beat up by the, uh, the, the, the not, not the police are bad, but just it's just an illustration, police are good. But you can get beat up by the enemy thinking you're somebody else and living like you're somebody else when all the time you're God's son and you're, you're, living, you're living like you're Alan Legere and letting these people beat you up for no reason and thinking you're less than who you are and it's this emotional roller coaster. It's not the truth of who God says you are. Let me show you what these words mean because I use some big words there you might not understand. But unaccusable means not able to be accused or blamed. And that was the easiest one of the words. And I, I even knew what that one meant. But um, irreproachable means beyond criticism and faultless. Man, where did he seat you? I think I, I think I remember reading somewhere he's seated with you in heavenly places. Far above all rule, principality, and power. Okay, unreprovable means not deserving or liable of blame or disapproval. But most of the church, we don't live like that. But I think it's time to. If God said it, I think he meant it. I think he has a good dictionary up there. I think he knows what all the words mean in every language at the same time. He knew what he was saying and he meant it. Now, if we take it and believe it and abide in that word, we will know the truth and the truth will make us free. Free indeed. He who the Son sets free is free indeed. You don't have to be partially free. You just need to abide more in his word. What did my father say? What did God say? I'm not going to listen to the voice of the stranger anymore. I'm not going to listen to the voice of the liar anymore. I'm going to listen. What did my father say? This is who I am. This is who I was born to be. I can do what he said I can do. I am who he says I am. I have the power of God in me because it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. I can do these things. And greater works will these will I do because he's in me. That's his word, not my word. Amen? It's our job. We're going to believe it or not. So, again, reproach in the dictionary means disapproval or disappointment. And the Word of God says you are above reproach. You are above disappointment. You are above disapproval. It can't happen anymore for the child of God. Now, I'm not talking about perfectionism stuff. I moved out of that. I'm talking about in your spirit, man, where God made righteous and truly holy, that you are perfected forever by the sacrifice of his son, not by any work you could ever do. And when you believe that, you're going to live like that. Nobody uh, gets dressed up for a wedding and then goes and plays in a mud puddle. 
right? You know it's a special day, a special thing, a special ceremony is happening that day. It's an honoring day. You're going to honor the bride, honor the groom, and you come prepared and you do, you do the, the wedding ceremony. And when you know who you are and who you really are, you're not going to bother to play in the little mud puddle over here because it's not going to be any fun to you compared to the righteous glory of what's on the inside of you right now. And that's what the sin is. It's just, it's just a little mud puddle. It's, just, it's nothing that's going to really help you. So through Jesus... We are now brought near to him and made unaccusable, irreproachable, unreprovable, blameless, someone who could not be called into account ever again. Because when we sing it and say it, Jesus paid it all. He literally actually did pay for it all. All of it. So guys, it's time to stop listening to the voice of the accuser. We are unaccusable in God's sight. So why listen? You waste your time, buddy. I'm unaccusable to God. <laughs> he just likes me a lot. He just paid for it all. I'm just, I mean, you don't even have that long conversation, but it helps your brain. Do what you got to do. All right? Uh, it's time to stop listening to the fault finder because we are beyond criticism in God's sight. It's time to stop listening to the condemner for we are not liable or blame or disapproval in God's sight. We got to shift how we think to think like him to walk in the freedom that he wants us to walk in. You're not going to become more holy by walking around saying, man, I stink. I'm just the worst person ever. Oh, me. Oh, me. Man, get the word of God in your mouth, in your eyes, in your mouth. There's a double-edged sword. Cut those lies out of your vocabulary. You are who God says you are because he's God. You don't have the ability to judge your worth, your value. Only he can judge your worth and value by who he says you are and what he made you to be. Amen. I'm going to close with this verse. We'll take communion. I probably went a little long today, but this, this message is in my heart strong. And uh, I'm tired of living below who God says I am. And I hope you guys are too. I hope I whet your appetite enough for this to say, you know what? Why don't I just believe God? Why not? He can't lie. Why don't I trust him? Because we don't know him. And if you really want to know him, you're going to have to spend time with him and abide in his word. Again, Jesus said this in John 8, 31, 32. Then Jesus said this to the Jews who believed him. If you abide in my word... You are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Free from what? All the lies surrounded and connected to your real identity. Abide in God's truth will make you free from all those lies. So don't live your life out of your old identity, the old man, and suffer the consequences like my friend Dale, the doppelganger of Alan Legere. <laughs> live your life out of who God says you are, and the truth will set you free. You'll walk in ever-increasing truth, experience life, love, and ever-increasing levels of freedom. You'll go from glory to glory. Amen. Now, you heard it. What are you going to do with it? You've heard thousands of sermons in your life. Some of them have really impacted you, and a lot of them we've done nothing with, myself included. Heard it. That was really good. I love that story. I love the illustration. I love that whatever. But do you really want to be free? Then what do you need to do? You need to abide in the Lord. Abide in his word and let him have the final authority even over your emotions, even over what someone else is telling you. Because the word will tell you, stink, you're no good, you're good for nothing, you'll never amount to anything, you'll never become this, that, whatever. But God, when God says it, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. It only matters what he said. And once we believe him, he'll walk in the things he wants us to. No one believed Joseph was going to do what, he, what was prophesied he'd do. The dreams he had. No one believed Moses was going to do what he, God said he would do. No one believed those things, but, but eventually they did. 
and they walked in them. And the same thing's true with us, okay? There's no difference. It's time to believe God, amen? If we got to go back to the basics, we'll go back to the basic training of believing who God says we are, amen? I'd like the elders to come forward. We're going to take uh, communion together as a family. And remembering our covenant we have with the Lord, not remembering our sin and our lawless deeds, that the Bible says he remembers no more. You going to help us, Pat? Awesome. Pat had knee replacement surgery a few weeks ago. Healing up good. One of the reasons we're invited to this table is because God wants you to believe him. He's like, over my dead body, you're going to go to hell. Over my dead body. He poured himself out, let himself be broken, punched, and beaten to try to convince you. Hey, guys, I, I don't care what the devil tells you. I really love you. And I'm going to demonstrate and show you in my own blood, in my own flesh. God loves you. You're not alienated. You're not strangers. You're not enemies. God's your father, and he's wanting to set you free. Amen. So this morning, as we come to the table, I'm going to invite you to come up in just a minute and receive the Lord's table. Take it back to your seat. We'll take it together as a family. But God, this is not the time to remember your sin. In the church, you may have been taught that. It's 100% wrong. Even on the front, it says, do this in remembrance of me on most communion tables. And they, don't, they do it in remembrance of your sin. Like, am I worthy to take communion today? That's not the right question. It's not the right question. It's not about your words, but the worth of Jesus. It's about who he said you are. Who's going to judge if you're worthy enough to take this? If you confessed every sin you could think of? What if you forgot a couple hundred of them? And you took it anyway. Oh, man, you're doomed to hell. Then you're going to go to hell. What are you going to do? Come on. It's religion. It doesn't work. I tried it. I know it doesn't work. To take my word for it, it doesn't work. What works is believing what God says. You're only worthy because God says you're a son. We received our worth through our inheritance. We received our value. We received everything we get from God is through is from him. Uh, everything we have from him, is life through, including life and godliness, came through Jesus. Okay? So take the worth question out. out. It's a son or daughter question. Have you inherited eternal life? And he's made you, he qualified you to partake of the Lord's table and the inheritance of the saints in the light. We read it this morning. So God, we thank you for this time to celebrate who you are. To celebrate who you are and to remember, and to do this in remembrance of you and what you did. Through your death, burial, and resurrection, what you did for our identity, what you did for our spiritual life and health. What you did to give us abundant zoe, that God kind of life on the inside of us. Thank you, God. I pray even right now as we take communion together that bodies would be healed because of your broken body. People come into faith and believe in that God really meant it when he said, my sins and lawless deeds are remembered no more. Blessed is the man who the Lord will not count his sins against him. And we live in that blessed covenant. Thank you, Jesus. That today... Someone here would believe that, yeah, even that sin, the one that you're most embarrassed, even that sin, the Lord destroyed and took it on himself on the cross when he became sin so he could become righteous. God, we thank you. And we celebrate today the victory we have in Jesus. In Jesus. It is all about you.
Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite you guys to come forward and receive now from the Lord's table.